0: Well, greetings brethren and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study where we study the scripture line upon line. This evening, God willing, we will cover Isaiah chapter 29. Uh, we just began the first part of this chapter last week. Uh, we'll continue uh, this evening and uh, let's open with a word of prayer. I should say as well, I pray that you had a, a fulfilling uh, Feast of Trumpets. And uh, here we are in the, the fall festival season. Uh, Let's make the most of it. Let's make the most of it. Uh, Clearly things are heating up. Things are accelerating. Uh, These days God gives us as a blessing to fortify us, to strengthen us, for us to strengthen our bonds with each other. Uh, Let's not just take it as ritual. Let's do all we can to make the most of these days. Open the word of prayer and begin uh, this evening study. Our loving Heavenly Father, Uh, most wise and most merciful Uh, we just want to thank you god for including us in your great plan and your great counsel Uh, we thank you god for the privilege that we have uh, to study your word to study the ancient prophets to understand the will of our lord and to do it and we pray father especially now in this world of chaos confusion and debauchery wickedness Uh, we pray father that you would fill us with the light of your word that you would fill us father with hunger and thirst for your righteousness and in fact fill us with your righteousness we thank you lord for this wonderful privilege we thank you for the privilege of knowing and observing your high holy days we pray you'll accept our worship We pray you'll help us, Father, to escape being ritualistic uh, and and instead to be just immersed in our relationship with you and with Jesus Christ and with each other. We praise you, Lord. We ask this blessing now. And I do have to ask you, God, to again uh, have mercy on those in Afghanistan who are being hunted like animals, uh, being slaughtered, being tortured, all because they name the name of Christ. We pray, God, you'll bless them with strength and perseverance and bless all those who are helping. And also, Father, we want to thank you for blessing us with uh, the the recovery of our dear sister, Lisa. We pray you'll continue to bless her, Father. We thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are up to Isaiah uh, 29. I'll go ahead and share my screen here. And uh, let us just quickly go back to Isaiah 28, just Isaiah 28 was really the curse of Ephraim in the north and Ephraim being code for all of the northern tribes of Israel, who their spiritual headquarters was Samaria. So they were referred to as Ephraim. God cursed them. And then halfway through the chapter, he pivoted and basically said, let this be a lesson to you, Jerusalem and Judah. And then the back half of chapter 28, then was focused on on the wickedness of judah and what god would do to correct them and ultimately save them so we'll just the tail end then that we read last week give you ear and hear my voice hearken and hear my speech and that seems to be uh the the repetitive refrain of the relationship with god and his people listen listen to me and then he wants them to understand this in all everything that the prophet has laid out does the plowman plow all day to sow does he open and break the clods of his ground don't you see the stages of the farmer he doesn't do the same thing you know tearing up the ground and just that's the only activity he does that so that he can plant he does that and then he cares for the the the, the 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 harvest the crop and then he harvests. there's there's these seasons when he has made plain the face thereof, does he not cast abroad the fetches a certain seed and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? For his God does instruct him to discretion and does teach him. So the farmer understands how to work the earth to get the harvest in the end. For the fetches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cartwheel turned about upon the cumin. But the fitches are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. So the farmer understands what he has to do to get the harvest. And so Judah needs to understand that God is taking them through a process. And that will ultimately result in their harvest and in them bearing fruit, not only for God, but for the whole world. Breadcorn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. This also comes forth of the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. So there is a wisdom, there's a counsel that God has in his relationship with his covenant people. And and the prophet understands it. The people don't understand it. Certainly Ephraim didn't understand it. And we're going to see that Jerusalem and Judah, they don't understand it either. So let's get now into chapter twenty-nine. Whoa, this is a curse. <clears throat> Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. So so this is, you, you know, there's um, Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter either seven or twenty-three. I think it's twenty-three, uh, seven or twenty-three, where. You know, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and they feel they're so safe because they've got that—that's the sacred temple in Jerusalem. And, and God says, stop saying that. That go and look what I did to Shiloh, and that's what I'm going to do to this temple. So here we see Ariel, this altar of God, of, of the, the sacred worship, even where David, that the man of God, the, the great representation of God's heart, David, this is where he dwelt. god is saying this city is cursed the fact that the temple is there notwithstanding and then he says add you year to year let them kill sacrifices and we get the sense here of the season that we're going through right now let them keep their feasts every year let them go ahead and kill their sacrifices and and feel good about their worship they're still cursed and that's kind of the danger actually of going through these rituals is we can feel really good about ourselves in fact there's a whole religion, where they do things five times a day and they go through all these rituals. And because of that, they feel really righteous, while they do the most abominable acts. And, and that, that's what to, to do great wickedness, you need to feel righteous, it's, it's hard to say, Okay, this is wickedness, let's let's totally indulge in it. Uh, it's just hard to do that. It's, it's much better when you feel you have a noble purpose, you think of the Nazis. And, and what they did, they didn't do this thinking, okay, we're evil and we're doing evil. They felt that we are noble people and this is a noble cause. And, and and so evil needs ideology to support it. In order, If you want extreme evil, you need ideology that excuses the extreme evil. So if you could just take the ideology away, and as Christ says, you shall know them by their fruits. If you just look and examine the behavior without any narrative, just look at the behavior, you would see the pure evil of it. But Satan deceives us by giving us a narrative. And this, even though we're talking here of the physical Jews, this applies equally to God's church. Here we are. We keep these, these rituals. And because we keep the rituals, we feel very righteous. We feel very good about ourselves. But how we feel about ourselves and how we how we perceive ourselves and what what, what we say to each other about ourselves, notwithstanding, it's notwithstanding it's how does God perceive us? How does God measure us? So we need to be careful about ritual and and the self-perception that ritual creates because that's the problem that we see here. So despite the fact that they're keeping the annual holy days and sacrificing, he says, yet I will distress Ariel and there shall be heaviness and sorrow and it shall be unto me as Ariel. So this uh, sacred, place of, of altar and sacrifices they will be a sacrifice so they're not accepting the true worship they're not accepting the true sacrifice he'll make them the sacrifice and I will I Jehovah the Creator I will camp against you roundabout. well we know that Christ says when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that the desolation of it is near. There's no no turning back. That's the point of no return. When when you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, it's going to be made desolate. But now what we see is God is the one saying, I'm doing this. Yeah, Yeah, there will be physical nations with a pathological hatred for Jerusalem that are going to surround it with armies. But God is saying, I'm the one who's doing this. I will surround you. I will surround you. And I will lay siege against you at the mount, and I will raise forts against you. And this sounds like Habakkuk. But Habakkuk was complaining, God, there's so much wickedness within the community. How come you don't do anything? And God says, no, no, Habakkuk, I am doing something. But don't look inside the covenant community for what I'm doing. Look to the Babylonians, because I'm going to do a work in your day which you would not believe even if somebody told you and the, the, this mysterious work that God is doing is just what Isaiah said what the farmer does is a time that he beats the, the seed well Judah's going to be beaten but and God is raising up the Assyrians and the Babylonians and these these hostile gentile nations to destroy them and God is the one doing it they these nations are going to feel that they're they're powerful look look at what's going on with the Taliban they're just gifted just gifted these ragtag you know, 7th century thugs are gifted with the most advanced and sophisticated military equipment the world has ever seen. $89 billion worth, just a gift. God is the one doing this. And it's interesting that the Taliban are, are made up of, or Afghanis, Afghanis are made up of many tribes, but some of these tribes are direct descendants of the Assyrians. So it's no stretch to say the Taliban, represent the Assyrians, as as do the, the Turks, because they spread and they mix and and the, the Afghanis are a mix of many different tribes But the Assyrians, the direct descendants of Assyrians are definitely there. So God is the one saying, I'm doing this. How do you explain this? How do you, these people who are just completely backward, suddenly gifted with the most advanced military equipment the world, the world has ever seen, $89 billion worth. And so here we see christ saying when you see jerusalem surrounded with armies now that we put it with isaiah's prophecy we see that god is the one who's orchestrating this surround it's not just it's not just happening willy-nilly and satan's just having his way god is orchestrating it it's part of the process back to isaiah 29 and you shall be brought down this is ariel this is jerusalem you shall be brought down So, so right now this nation that we call Israel, which is Judah, the tribe of Judah, but they go by the name Israel in the modern day, since 1948. Um, it's a very powerful nation. It's a very wealthy nation. Uh, in the few decades that it's been around, it's completely surpassed its uh, Islamic neighbors in terms of capability, in terms of wealth, in terms of modernity, uh, in terms of uh, the well-being of its citizens. All of this is done in a few short decades from nothing. The, the ground was, was parched and there was nothing. And they all came there. And suddenly it's just so productive. And it is such a powerful nation. And, and the prophet, through God is saying through the prophet, I'm going to bring you down. And we are, we are witnessing the chessboard changing, not in Jerusalem's favor, not in Judah's favor. And you shall be brought down and shall speak out of the ground. This is the level of humiliation you'll be brought to. And your speech shall be low out of the dust. So all of the pomp and circumstance and ceremony and bravado and and, and pride, God is saying, I'm going to completely destroy that. And you're going to be completely humiliated. And your voice shall be, as of one that has a familiar spirit, Out of the ground and your speech shall whisper out of the dust so here is just a metaphor if you think of these people who practice voodoo and this sort of witchcraft and necromancy and you can picture them speaking to the dead and in whispering tones trying to bring the dead god is saying well this this level of quietness where you really have to listen carefully this is how you're going to be Uh, this is how your voice will be reduced moreover the multitude of your strangers shall be like small dust and the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passes away so we need what we just read in isaiah 28 the tail part of of the process that the farmer goes through to understand what's going on here that judah will be completely humiliated and reduced but those armies that were surrounding jerusalem and destroying the cities of judah they also will be reduced because they were just part of the process but god has an objective yes it shall be in at an instant suddenly so they're going to be very powerful nations and then suddenly there'll be nothing you shall be visited of the lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire and the multitude of all the nations that fight against ariel even all all that fight against her and her munition and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. and we just constantly see this pattern it goes all the way back to moses and and torah and deuteronomy deuteronomy 30 that god has a purpose for these people he, he is in covenant with these people and these people are very wicked but despite their wickedness despite the, the, god is in a, in a in a union with them and despite the unfaithfulness of his bride of his wife despite her unfaithfulness god is in covenant with her and he will not turn his back on his covenant and so this is a process that just shows how faithful god is to his covenant that's, that's what a covenant is. It, it's a binding agreement that you can't get out of. So all of this, in fact, all of this punishment is demonstrating the faithfulness of God. There's, there's nothing that God does that is outside of his promise, that is outside of his covenant. In fact, you know, if you read the, um, the Hadith and the Quran, uh, you understand that the Muslim God was so angry with the Jews because they were hungry and they went fishing on the sabbath to feed their children and, and and because they broke the sabbath he became so angry and incensed and lost his temper that he turned them into pigs and monkeys this is what the quran teaches this is what the hadith teaches so so he was so angry he turned them into pigs and monkeys because they just he just lost his temper okay where is that in torah and, and how does that demonstrate God's faithfulness to his covenant? This is just made up. What we see here, everything that God does and all of the punishment that Judah and Israel see. He, he first of all, he warned Samaria and what was going to happen to them, Israel. And now he's warning Judah what's going to happen to them. There's not a single punishment that is outside of the covenant relationship. So all of this destruction that Judah is now going to experience, all of it is within the confines of the covenant agreement. this, This destruction is demonstrating God's faithfulness to his covenant. It's amazing. And so the multitude and this here, this is exactly what will happen to them. This is what we see in Deuteronomy, that the multitude of all the nations, all these surrounding nations, that fight against Ariel, which is Jerusalem, even all that fight against her and her munition, her, her armies, and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. So it's like you can have a, a nightmare, which seems so real at the time, and you're terrified. Maybe you wake up sweating, but you wake up. <laughs> when you wake up, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That, that, would be, that was a dream. It felt so real. Well, this is going to feel very real but it's all temporary it's all temporary and it's all passing away it shall even be as when a hungry man dreams so the hungry man here is the wicked man and he's dreaming and behold he eats so he's getting his way he's getting the spoil he's getting the bounty Uh, think of zechariah 14 uh, verse 1 but he he wakes up and his soul is empty it's like you got nothing. Or as when a thirsty man dreams and behold, he drinks, but he wakes up and behold, he is faint and his soul has appetite. So he's hungry and he's thirsty. It seemed while he was dreaming, it just seems so wonderful. And then he wakes up. So you've got Judah having a nightmare. And in the same nightmare, you have her enemies having a feast, having a wonderful time. So Judah's in sorrow, but her enemies are in joy, in the dream. And then there's a waking, a point of waking, awakening when suddenly the enemy, who thought they were having their way and having all the goods and all the wealth and all the women and just thinking it was wonderful, suddenly they've got nothing. And, and in the nightmare, Judah had nothing, wakes up and realizes that was a nightmare, and now they're going to have all the wealth. Think of Isaiah 60 verses one to four. So here, he says he wakes up and, and the wicked is faint and he's hungry. Uh, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. We have to understand this because we're, we're heading into some horrible times and it's all taking place now. This current administration has turned its back on Judah. It's turned its back on Christ. You know, with the previous administration, I was just thinking of this the other day, you, you, you constantly heard of pastors being rescued and even one pastor being rescued and brought into the White House to lead the White House in prayer and to mention the name of Christ. When was the last time in the last eight months that you heard the name of Christ mentioned? When was the last time in the last eight months that you heard of uh, not even a Christian pastor, but just any Christian being rescued. When was the last time in the last three weeks you heard recognition from this administration that Christians are being hunted down and destroyed, hunted like animals and being tortured. And therefore, because of religious persecution, they they, they need to be prioritized. Have you heard any such language? Well, all of this is speaking to this nightmare that's coming up. When the strongest nation in the world turns its back on Judah, and therefore it's going to be cursed, and it is cursed, and as it collapses and, and throws its wealth away and turns its back on God, we're heading into a new, a new reality. We're heading into a world where the value system of the Chinese Communist Party will be, will be prominent. And the value system of the Muhammadans will be prominent. And, and the, everything that we've known in terms of the value of the individual and the importance of freedom and the importance of creativity and realizing potential, all of that is going away. All of it. And so let's let's be ready, but let's understand it's just part of the story. That this is this is the rest of the story, that all these nations I think Zechariah 12. That that fight against Zion are going to be destroyed in an instant, in a moment. But then he's speaking to—that's the reality. That's the process. Again, a farmer goes through a process to get to the harvest. But here in verse nine, now he speaks to Judah, and he says, "Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry you out and cry. They are drunken. They're drunk." But not with wine. They stagger. They're intoxicated. But not with strong drink. So so why are they staggering? Why are they drunk? What's, What's going on with these people? Well, he explains. He says, For the Lord has poured out upon you, speaking of Judah, this is what God has done. This is his doing. He's poured out upon you, the spirit of deep sleep. You know, know, um, when you're in a very, very deep sleep and the world around you is carrying on, but you're in such a deep sleep, you don't hear anything. And you're just, you're just basically dead to the world. So, so they are spiritually dead to the world. They don't understand what God is doing. Because God, God is behind this. This is part of their curse. He's poured out upon them a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, the seers, has he covered. So the very people that should be leading the nation in spiritual instruction, God's closed their eyes. So it's not that there are no more prophets. It's not that there aren't any more rulers. It's not that they don't have seers. They have all these things. And year to year, they go through their rituals. It's just that these people are totally blind. They're, they're not saying anything. Their lips are moving, but nothing of value is coming out. They may, they may be dressed up in the robes and going through the ritual. It has zero value. And as a result, the people who are following them are completely led astray, completely misled. And God is the one behind this. He's the one that's just closed their eyes. Now, this we should remember Uh, is the curse in chapter six when God in in calling Isaiah to ministry tells him they're not going to understand a word you say, because I've cursed them I've cursed this people and he says make the heart of this people fat make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed we cannot have that No hypocrites in the kingdom. No hardened hearts in the kingdom. And these people are hypocrites. So therefore, God says, I'm going to remove their ability to understand anything. The word will be preached to them and it will be a witness against them, but they'll have no understanding. And Christ himself uh, repeated this curse when he was among them. So this is what's happening here. And then he says this, and this is a very, very interesting passage. This passage, we, we need to understand this passage. And it's good that we've read it. We've come to Isaiah 29 verses 11 to 12, not like the Mohammedans and those who follow them. The Mohammedans will teach the, these two verses to Christians. And Christians will say, oh, oh, wow, very interesting. The Quran is in the Bible. Muhammad is prophesied in the Bible. It's in Isaiah 29, 11 to 12. Well, if you just sort of sweep in, pick up these two verses completely out of context, and then sweep out, then you can make the argument this is about Muhammad, which is, this is a very, very strong scripture. Very, you know, Muslims cannot read the Bible. The Bible is illegal. If you're, right now in, in Afghanistan, if you're caught with a Bible app on your phone, you will be executed. So the Bible is illegal. When when Muhammad was alive, uh, one of his companions, Abu Bakr, he started to read the Torah. And Muhammad was very upset that he was reading the Torah, and Omar, another one of his companions, noticed how upset and agitated Muhammad was becoming. So he upbraided Abu Bakr and said, "Don't you see how?" The prophet, you're upsetting the prophet from reading the Torah. And so it was very clear the prophet Muhammad did not want his followers reading Torah. And so the Bible is illegal in in, uh, countries governed by Sharia. But the imams will read the Bible. And they'll pick and choose various verses to show their followers that islam is endorsed by the bible that muhammad was predicted by the bible that the quran is uh, prophesied in the bible and this is a very very strong scripture so let's read it and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed this is the quran they say which men deliver to one that has learned saying read this i pray i beg you and he says i cannot for it is sealed and the book is delivered to him this is muhammad to him that is not learned because Muhammad was illiterate apparently so the story goes and the book is delivered to him i say the story goes because he was a trader and he was doing commerce really all over the known world there at that time uh, into Syria and away through Arabia and all all over the known world and he got to see the Jewish religion and customs and Christians and how they uh, transacted or how they um worshipped but he had to transact with these people and I think there's an element of literacy that one requires to do business. N- nevertheless, uh, this, this, the legend is that he was completely illiterate and uh, an, angel, an angel or a spirit being uh, gave him this book and told him to read. I think the instruction the was Ikra, which is Quran comes from the root Ikra. Uh, so he was told to read this, to recite it and uh, he said i can't read so this this is hey this is this is the prophecy the book is delivered to muhammad who's not learned saying read this i pray you and he says i'm not learned." now we don't just swoop in and take scriptures out of context we started in isaiah 1 and we learned that this is a prophecy concerning judah and jerusalem and we've marched through the scroll line by line passage by passage, chapter by chapter, to come to this. And so we have the whole context, and in particular, uh, 28 and 29. If we didn't read, even if we didn't read from chapter 1 to 27, if we just started in 28 and 29, we would understand this concerns the Jews. And we've just read it. We've just read where God says that he has, he says, stay yourselves and wonder, cry you out and cry. They're drunk, but not with wine. They st- stagger, but not with strong drinks. So, so what, what is intoxicating them? And then we see the curse. God is intoxicating them. How is he intoxicating with them? In- intoxicating them with a the spirit of deep sleep. His own people have been intoxicated with a spirit of deep sleep. And in fact, we, we know that spiritually, the first fruits, Judah, that the church is going to go through the same thing. that that, that we know the Lord will not return until there's an apostasy, a falling away first. And we know that the church is going to go to sleep. A spirit of deep sleep is gonna come upon the church. And, And many false prophets will arise. And just as God did this to physical Judah, he's also orchestrating a sifting of the church. And so we cannot take God for granted. We cannot take this calling for granted. We have to do all we can to endure. And, and, and to maintain brotherly love and, and to maintain our place in this covenant relationship. So as it was anciently, so it is uh, in today. So the intoxication is a spirit of deep sleep and it comes from God and it causes their eyes to be blind, that they cannot see, they cannot hear. And, and that is the fulfillment of the curse in Isaiah 6, 10, And now, because of this spirit of deep sleep, the vision has become to them, the Jews, the cursed Jews. So Isaiah 29 verses 11 and 12 regards the cursed. So anybody who wants to say they're in this category of people that is being referred to in verses 11 and 12 are saying they are cursed. These are the cursed people. Verses 11 and 12 concern the cursed the the, the the abominable to god so anybody who wants to say i'm here we're saying we're being cursed so the reason they cannot understand the, vi- the the prophet understands the vision the prophet has been given the vision and he's giving it to the people but they have they're drunk with deep sleep so they walk around and they stagger so even though it's a vision to them it's like it's sealed it's like a book that is sealed which men deliver to one, even the learned, the prophets, the seers, the rulers who are highly educated. And, and here's the prophet giving them the vision and saying, read this. Everything that we've just covered in the scroll, read this. I beg you, read this and teach the people. And he says, uh, I, I have no clue what it says. It, it's totally sealed to me. I have no access to the prophecies. Oh, Really? That's because you're cursed. Because I understand it. God, it's revealed. This is revelation. How come you can't see it? Oh, because you're cursed. And now in verse 12, so that's the educated. So we're still dealing with the cursed covenant community. The, 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 The curse of Deuteronomy is upon them. And then the book is delivered to him that's not learned. So now we go from the prophet and the, the, the seers and the rulers to the most uneducated. And you can you read this? Can, can somebody access the prophecies? I beg you. And he says, well, don't, don't ask me. I'm depending on those guys. I'm not learned. So this absolutely has nothing to do with Muhammad and everything to do with the Jews themselves and the curse that God has laid upon them. Now. This curse on Judah is an exact parallel to what we read last week, the curse on Samaria, the curse on Ephraim. So last week in chapter 28, verse 7, again, we're reading all of this in context, so we don't come to chapter 29, 11, and 12 just out of the blue. We were in chapter 28. And so we see the parallel of what happened to Ephraim, And then God, midway through chapter 28, I believe, verse 14, he then turns to Judah and says to Judah, take note of what I just said to Samaria, of what I just said to Ephraim, because this concerns you. And what happened to them is going to happen to you if you don't repent. So what happened to Ephraim? But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. So if they're intoxicated, do you think you could bring the vision to them? They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables, and you think of the feast days, all of the fellowship of the feast days, for all tables are full of vomit and filthiness. So there is no place clean. And verse 11, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. So this people are going to be spoken to in a way that they have no access to the knowledge. And then verse 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And so why was it packaged up this way to Ephraim? That they might go? and fall back and be broken and snared and taken because Ephraim was cursed. And in the very same way, the Jewish community, in the exact same way, is cursed. Prophet and priest, as well as the the layman. So coming back now. And sorry, I just realized I skipped some verses here. We were in 2912, and I've come to 2917. So let me just get back to twenty nine. Uh, see what I see. What happened here? So I don't want twenty-nine seventeen. I want twenty-nine thirteen. Two seventeen. Yes, let's do that. That should work. Let me just get back to twenty-nine thirteen. Sorry about that. I just skipped some verses. If if it ever happens, brethren, it's never happened. So just tell me that I've missed verses and I'll make sure I I cover them. So he says, therefore, or wherefore the Lord has said, for as much as this people, that's the subject matter. The subject matter has nothing to do with Muhammad. I'm sorry, Muslims, to disappoint you. Read the Bible. Don't let anybody take this away from you. Take your time to read it. and, And you will see that you've been misled. You've been lied to. So verse 13, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me, draw near me with their mouth, and their lips do honor me. This is exactly what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy 30. Let's finish with the lip service. And, And God is going to drive you to destruction in order to get rid of the lip service and get you to a point where you truly love him and you truly repent and serve him. And then he's going to be uh, benevolent to you and you'll be fully blessed. So this is exactly what Isaiah is talking about. Let's just do away with the hypocrisy. Wherefore, the Lord has said, "This, this is the subject, the covenant community who are hypocrites. For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. This is how they operate. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among these people. The same thing he said last week to Ephraim um, in, in, in Isaiah 28. The same thing he said to Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2. In Habakkuk 1, sorry. So, so God is orchestrating this, and that's why they can't have access to it. That it's just going to come and surprise them and drive them to Repentance. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous... You have to read the whole... Like, You know, people want to believe what they want to believe. And we're really no different. So we have to... We don't want to believe what we want to believe. We want to believe what God has said. And this is why we study line upon line. And and we respond to what God teaches. And then as we respond to what he teaches, he gives us more understanding. And as we gain more understanding, we have access to more understanding. But if we're stubborn and we resist then he takes it away therefore behold i will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid so this this is the the book that is sealed to them now they have the book it's there they should have a they're the covenant people they should have full understanding of the content And yet the whole thing even their wise men have no access to it because ariel is cursed woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from jehovah and their works are in the dark and they say who sees us and who knows us and you know just in terms of current times israel is one of the most vaccinated nations in the world and they are suffering the most in terms of COVID. And, and they're realizing that they have no immunity to this variant. And in fact, they, they, the Jews that are falling um, victim to COVID, this, this variant, there's no difference whether you've been vaccinated or not. So this whole investment in this vaccination program, it actually doesn't work. And 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 they're forcing them now to, to, to go to this subscription model where they're gonna keep injecting them, shut down their natural immune system, and now you're gonna be totally dependent on the pharmaceutical, the uh, as an immune system, that you know, hey, how's that going to work out for you? When they say that the nat- those who have uh, had COVID and developed the natural antibodies, the way the way immunity should, the way the God's immune system was designed, they are 13 times more immune than those who have been uh, been vaccinated. So there's something strange going on. And, and whether people get vaccinated or not, it, it, on an individual basis, there may be a reason why a certain person needs to be vaccinated. I'd say vaccinated, although it's not a traditional vaccine. And another person, there may be a special certain reason why for their physiology, that's the last thing they should ever do. But to have this like, no, absolutely everybody must be vaccinated with this experimental vaccine on pain of death or on pain on, uh, of exclusion from society. And, and haste we have to do this so fast and this is ne- this this experiment has never been done before uh, uh, on humans at this scale and it's never been successful it's completely experimental and yet these jewish leaders are just in in just imposing this upon their people and and somebody's getting very very wealthy from all of this every injection somebody's making money Kaching, kaching, ka ka-ching every time somebody's injected trillions and trillions of dollars being made so something strange is going on and now in the news is this uh, dr fauci um just a lot of fraudulent activity you know it's all coming out so what's going on with the leaders in israel that they're subjecting their people to this injection program and it's not working and somebody's making lots and lots of money from all of this. So that's just a, as an example where we see that they seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord of all the nations, wouldn't it be something? All the nations are panicking over this covid and Israel, the nation of Judah is relying on their God. And and they're demonstrating to the world how to deal with this thing logically according to Torah. How to use quarantine according as Moses taught quarantine. Well, wouldn't that be something? The whole world would have to look and say, wow, there's some wisdom that this nation has. But instead, they are doing the same thing that the rest of the, the nations are doing. Woe to them that seek deep to hide their counsel from Jehovah, and their works are in the dark. They don't, they're not being open and transparent. And they say, who sees us and who knows us? surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay so go ahead and do whatever you're doing don't you realize you have a relationship with the creator and you're like clay to him so all of this is ultimately just like the farmer going taking you through stages so that he can get the harvest that he's looking for for shall the work say of him that made it he made me not or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? Like, Who do you think you are? Do you think you can just go your own way, do your own thing and that you're not in covenant with the Creator? Is it not yet a very little while and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? So what this is saying, metaphorically, Lebanon, the trees you think of Solomon and the trees of Lebanon and just how, how powerful these, these forests were. And, and so Lebanon is really a symbol of, of the mighty. And yet these mighty trees and this mighty forest will be plowed down, completely mowed down, turned into a field, just no more forest and the field that was nothing, those little plants are going to grow and they're going to be like a forest. So there's this complete reversal that the prophet is saying. In just a little while, these leaders of Judah who seem to have their way and they're subjugating the people and you have to wear a freedom bracelet, this is so Orwellian. In order to be enslaved, we're going to give you a freedom bracelet. Uh, These um, leaders who are so powerful and ruling and oppressing the people uh, in just a little while, these oppressors are going to be nothing. And the meek, the the, the the oppressed, are going to be powerful. That's what Isaiah is saying. And it's, it's what uh, he says, and you know, we are very familiar with 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And when Christ came, he read this to them. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or for depression that they might be called trees of righteousness, you can see the meek and the humble and the the poor, and, and those who are being oppressed, are going to be called this forest, these trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So he's going to be glorified in the meek, who turn to him. Back to 29, verse 18. And in that day, shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. So, again, we just keep reading, and the subject is Ariel. It's Jerusalem. And as much as they are cursed, they're still in covenant. And God is going to lift. In fact, in, in uh, Matthew 23, before he introduces the curses in uh, Matthew 24 and the whole uh, fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew 23, he says, I, I, I wanted to gather you, Jerusalem, but you wouldn't have it. And so now your house is left unto you desolate and you won't see me again until you shall say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there's a, a blindness that's finally lifted. They have to be punished. They have to go through the abomination that makes desolate. But that's when when the cities of De- Isaiah 6 when the cities are finally made desolate, that's when this um, blindness will be lifted and the meek will acknowledge their Messiah. So the deaf finally understand the words of the book and the blind finally are able to see the vision and acknowledge their Messiah. So again, this chapter has absolutely nothing to do with Muhammad. Except to say that God is going to raise up the nations that surround Ariel to destroy her. And that's where Muhammad comes in. The meek also shall increase their joy in Jehovah, And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So the Jews themselves are being oppressed by their own leaders. And God is going to save them. For the terrible one is brought to nothing. These are the oppressors. And the scorner is destroyed. And all that watch for iniquity are cut off. So this is like, why would you fight against God? That make a man an offender for a word. (laughs) Doesn't this speak to our time? You said the wrong thing. We're going to cancel. You You know, as I just heard the other day, I forget who it was, but somebody came out and said, uh, I think some CEO said that he supports what's going on in Texas, the Texas law, to, to, to hold the unborn child's life as sacred, that he believes that. Immediately canceled, vicious attacks. He had to resign immediately, step down. Uh, They Make a man an offender for a word. That's that's the world we live in. It's nothing new. This is done anciently, and it's prophetic. That make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproves in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of nothing. So those who are trying to do the right thing they're canceled, they're censored, their, their lives are destroyed. Therefore, thus says Jehovah, who redeemed Abraham. This, this is the God we're dealing with. The God who promised Abraham and redeemed Abraham. This is what he says concerning the house of Jacob. So remember, we know from Daniel, all the prophets are saying the same thing, and it's all rooted in Torah. It's all rooted in Moses. Moses lays down the original prophecy. And all the other prophets amplify, they repeat, they amplify, they bring it into higher definition, they add more detail to to Moses' prophecies. All the way now to Revelation, where we've studied Revelation together, goes all the way back to Moses. And so the Bible is just this cohesive whole. It's not that suddenly we, we get a revelation and so oh, a totally different, totally different style and personality of God and, and character. And, and so therefore we have to throw the Bible away and embrace some new revelation. I don't think so. Therefore, thus says Jehovah. Yehovah who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Now we know this great tribulation that's coming is specifically designed to be a time of trouble for Jacob. But this is what the God who redeemed Abraham says concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall now shall not now be ashamed. So again, if you if the Muslims who want to read Isaiah 29, 11 to 12, why don't you read verse 22? This is what God says concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed. Neither shall his face now wax pale. God's going to put an end to it. That was just a process, like the farmer. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands, that's what God is doing. God is like this farmer taking the people through a process. When he sees his children, the work of my hands, in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob. And You just get the sense of this deep, deep, intimate covenant bond that God has with Jacob. Though Jacob was unfaithful, God is faithful. God has spoken it, and he will do it, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, that which is not yet done, saying, my counsel, my plan, my arrangements of what's going to happen in the earth, they shall stand. And Jacob will bear fruit for the whole earth, because Jacob is in Uh, In covenant, well, Judah's in covenant with God. Jacob, the northern tribes were divorced, but they're going to be brought and made. We're going to be celebrating at the atonement, the atonement next week. They're going to be made one with Judah. Judah and Israel will be one, and that's how Israel will be brought back into covenant with God, and God is going to do everything that he has promised for Jacob. They shall sanctify my name, and again, in Matthew 24, I mentioned this on Sabbath, but I, I think I've mentioned it multiple times. In Matthew 24, the first fruits judah will be persecuted by all nations hated by all nations for his name's sake so there's something about the gospel preaching that is specifically tied to god's name and and here it is this is the good news this is the gospel that jacob will sanctify his name because he is the and what's his name they're going to sanctify the holy one of Jacob there is a relationship with Jacob this is the good news that god Jacob is not god forsaken that Jacob would god would never forsake Jacob that god will rule over Jacob forever and he will be glorified in Jacob forever this is the good news and all everything we're reading in Isaiah we see yes Jacob is going to go through a time of intense suffering but all of that to bear fruit and ultimately the whole world will benefit when the potter has his way with Jacob so when he sees his children the work they're the work of my hands in the midst of, and even the assyrian is the rod in god's hands to help shape jacob and when he sees his children the work of my hands in the midst of him they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the holy one of jacob and shall fear the god of israel And the whole world will then benefit from this intimate relationship that Jacob has with God. Here in Ezekiel 37, see this. He said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, verse 9. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain. So Jacob will be slain. And all the slain of Jacob, because God is a God of covenant, he says to the four winds, breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And so Jacob, this is, what well, let's just read that again. Jacob, he says, this is concerning Jacob, that Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his, wax, his face now wax pale. But when he, Jacob, sees his children, the work of his hands, in the midst of him, and they're all going to sanctify his name and worship the God of Israel. Jacob himself will see this. And so we see this resurrection of all of Israel. Now they're going to be made at one with Jacob and Judah, and at one with God. This is the atonement, the atonement, and Jacob is going to see all of all of it. Over time, you'll see this is you know there's going to be this first resurrection, but this is all leading to the second resurrection, and it's all timed. So we'll see a first instance of this, and then we'll see the ultimate of this. And Jacob will see it all, and the whole world will understand that God is going to be glorified in His people Israel, and they have no access to Him. When we read Revelation uh, twenty-one, they'll have no access to God. Or no access to Jerusalem, unless they come in through one of the gates of Israel. God will be glorified in Israel. So I'll finish uh, tonight in verse 24 of Isaiah 29. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding. So all those dead that were slain, and and they erred in spirit. In the second resurrection, they also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and those that survive will come to understanding. And they that murmured shall learn doctrines. You get this sense from verse 24 of God's commitment to Israel and and to Judah, that despite their wickedness, despite their wayward ways and their drunkenness, God is just committed. God is just holding the line. And ultimately, he will be glorified in his people. That's what he says. He never goes back on his word. And I I just realized that this whole time, I was not sharing the scripture, and uh, that's what happens when I get carried away. So I apologize for that. I like when you can read the scripture with me, uh, so I apologize for that. Uh, I don't have my multiple screens set up, so I couldn't see what you were seeing. But ultimately, uh, hopefully you're reading along in your um, scriptures, and uh, you're as we read line by line, what we're reading in between the lines is how faithful this God is. And we will never accept any teaching that presents God as a God that is unfaithful. We will not accept any prophet, any teacher, any body who wants to take us away from the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He is Lord, he is King, and he's coming soon. And that's that's what we just uh, celebrated in in the Feast of Trumpets, the return of Christ, and how the whole world is is turned right side up, beginning with trumpets. What a mighty God we save! God bless you, brethren. Uh, have a great Sabbath, and uh, Feast of Atonement. We will we will uh, God willing uh, meet again uh, next Wednesday evening, and uh, we'll cover Isaiah 30. God bless you, brethren. Christ is Lord, and He is faithful.